Good morning, church. That has a catchy tune to it. You hear and think about the fact that on the resurrection day, as I have so often said, on that day, if we're still alive on the earth, we want to be people looking down, not looking up, right? You don't want to watch people rising. You want to be one of the ones rising to heaven. It is great to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance. And we thank you for your presence. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. O great and masterful God in heaven, creator and sustainer of all life, the maker of all things, those things that are seen and those things that are unseen, we praise you and we thank you this morning for your blessed gift of worship. We pray that our worship will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight and that you will help us to Remember Jesus in all things. Also, that you would help us to rid our minds of worldly thought, that we might focus only on you, on your word, your will, and your way. Please help us, Lord God, to be the people that you require us to be, to be called your children. And we thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' holy, magnificent, most awesome, and precious name. We do pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. Worthy conduct. We agree that Jesus came not only to live, but to show us the way. He showed us how to live as a Christian, though he wasn't a Christian, right? Before Christianity came. He came to show us how to serve in humility and to keep the will of God first and foremost in his life. Jesus, in essence, says, brothers and sisters, follow me. Live the way I lived. Be humble the way I've been humble. Live a life of simple, trusting faith in our God. We're going to Isaiah chapter 53. Our desire to conduct ourselves with a worthy attitude of humility can be accomplished. Jesus showed us the way. So Isaiah 53 and Verse 4, I want you to think about a few things as we read. Examine how he suffered for us, not because of himself, but because of our sins. He lived with this focus of, of being an example that he could leave back, that we can be proud of and proud to follow. In verse 4, the text says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Jesus chose not to sin. Jesus chose not to sin. He chose not to be vengeful. Though all of us, verse 6, like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him because of us, because of me. The next verse reads, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, 
and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He never used deceit. He was straightforward and honest. And even while suffering, he didn't utter threats, nor did he display evil. The final verse in Isaiah 53, in verse 9 says, His grave was assigned with wicked men. I think I skipped verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out or off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? It's a scary verse. Isn't that, isn't that a scary verse? Because God is making it clear that what Jesus went through, we were supposed to go through. What Jesus suffered, we were supposed to suffer. But he did this for us to relieve us of this suffering and struggle from this difficulty and this death. And in verse 8 it says, his grave was a sorrow, verse 9 rather, his grave was a sorrow of wicked men, yet he didn't, was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He did not threaten people. Instead, Jesus trusted in the Father. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Here's what he showed us. He showed us how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God and not, be, not become self-pleasers, but rather people who are looking out for the interests of others and not only for himself. And so in Philippians 2 and verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. He thought about others before he thought about himself. Is that how we live our lives? Are we emulating the life of Jesus? And so a very fair question might be, Father, how do we fulfill the command to follow in the steps of Jesus and to imitate his life? God, Jesus, how do we gain the desire to be like the Godhead? We might ask God, the Holy Spirit, how do we serve in humility to suffer for a cause, to stand against all odds, to live morally and godly lives, to strive for excellence and perfection. We might ask the Godhead, how do we find the strength to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner? Not, not fulfilling the desires of self, but in a worthy manner, one that fulfills, if you will, the commands and the ordinances of our God. Philippians chapter 1, please, beginning at verse 21. We must ensure that our Messiah is number one. Number one in our lives. That God is the absolute number one individual, if you will, the number one God, the only God in our lives. And we must live our lives accordingly, right? Not just to say God is my God, but to live an acceptable life that's worthy worthy 
to be praised. To live in a way that brings glory and honor to our God. For to him, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. What? What did he say? To die is way better than living on the earth. Wait, am I there? Do I feel that way? Is that how I feel in my heart? To die is better than being on the earth. To die and be with God is better than being here on the earth. Paul said so. Verse 24. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So here's this, here's this big step. Be willing, as a Christian, to be inconvenienced. We love modern conveniences, right? I mean, how much, how much, how much better might some members think if we could have drive-through communion? You know, you don't have to come to worship. You just drive through and pick your communion up on the way. And go home. There is a church, by the way, a denomination that does that to this day. I think it's in Texas. All, everything happens in Texas, right? They have a drive-through communion. Because, you know, it's more convenient for them. And so they just drive up and, and they have worship in that way. We just love conveniences. But if you're going to be a Christian, prepare your heart to be inconvenienced. Someone might say this morning, I'm a little inconvenienced having to be here at worship. Most of us say at night, it's inconvenient to come to church tonight. I'm inconvenienced to come on Wednesday. I don't want to be inconvenienced. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to love God. Prepare to be inconvenienced in your life. Allow God to meddle in your life. Hmm. He goes on in chapter 3, in verse 1, to say this. You have to... Uh, Stand strong against internal weaknesses, external persecution, conflicts that may come our way. You must find in your heart, in this relationship with God, the ability to find joy, even though I'm being, if we might call it, inconvenienced. We ought not say that anyway, right? No Christian should say, well, God, you're kind of inconveniencing me. But we live our lives that way. Philippians 3 verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not finding it, in, it being inconvenient to worship God, but finding it a joy to worship God. we got to get to that place where worship is joyful. I'm excited to be here to worship God. To worship God. You do know it's the only day he gave us that we can worship him. Right? This is the day. This is the day. You can't take communion on Monday nor through Saturday. This is 
the day. Can't wait to get here, Lord. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to find joy in my relationship with the Lord. Chapter 1 and verse 29 of Philippians. It says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Wait. It has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe... Wait. So do you mean to tell me that God gave me this gift to be able to believe? Thank you, God. How can that be inconvenient? Why would that bother me that God has given me the opportunity to assemble to worship Him. I've got to find joy in worship. How about you? Is that joy? This is the day. I know, it's a Super Bowl. You know, it's a Super Bowl. No, no, no. This is the day. Let the preacher preach too long and everyone will go, wait, we got the Super Bowl today. No, church. This Thank you for laughing, because then I would have... No, just kidding. This is the day. There is no other day like it. Thank you, God. Do I find joy in my heart because of the day? Today, Sunday, the first day of the week, the beginning of the first fruits that I offer to my God for this week. And then they end on Saturday, and it starts again today. Thank you, God. Philippians 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Wait. There's this surpassing greatness in knowing Jesus. Wow. Surpassing greatness. Surpassing what? All things. Everything else is rubbish in our lives. But knowing Jesus. Wow. Thank you, God. This is the day, church. In verse 12, the text goes on. Verse 9, we'll begin there. And it may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may, it gets just so, so much prettier, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It just gets sweeter and sweeter to know Jesus, to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for making a way. And that's what God has done. And so we have to find this joy in worshiping our God according to His will. Now, the Philippian letter 
I'm going back to chapter 1. It gives us what, what I'm going to call the three S's of worthy conduct. And I want to look at verses 27 through 29 this morning to, uh, to gain an understanding of those three. Beginning at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of a destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So how, God, do we live worthy lives, lives of conduct, if you will, that bring glory and honor to your name? So the first one is stand together in unity. Stand together, right? Look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. What are we doing, church, to do? What are we doing to ensure that we are standing firm together in one spirit and in one mind? Is it just to come and sit in the pews? Or should there be more activity throughout our week as a body of Christ, a body of believers, right? This united effort to, to continue to stand up, to stand up for what is right, right? To stand up and, and be inconvenienced, to stand like Jesus. Inconvenience? Yeah, Jesus was a little bit inconvenient. In Matthew chapter 8, in verse 20, he's talking, and someone says, hey, Jesus, I want to be where you are. And, and Jesus uh, says to them in Matthew chapter 8, in verse 20, if you're going to come follow Jesus, the, um, the birds of the air have nests, and the foxes have holes. But the, the son of the man, the son of man is what? There's nowhere to lay his head. So, so the foxes have holes, and, and the birds have nests, and the birds have nests, and the foxes have holes. And Jesus says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You still want to follow Jesus? What if Jesus said, follow me? Well, Lord, what about my home? And Jesus said, leave your home. You're not, you can't take that to heaven with you. Follow me. How many of us would follow Jesus? You ever wondered that when Jesus is walking in John chapter 1 and he's talking to the apostles uh, at that time, they're John's disciples, and he says to them simply, come follow me. And they drop everything and follow him. I wonder what, how I would have responded to Jesus if Jesus said to me, come follow me. You know, some said, oh, no, follow, well, I'll follow you, but let me go take care of this stuff first. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Am I willing to stand for Jesus as Christ stood for the Father and for the message and for the Holy Spirit and even for himself, for the Godhead to live a life, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, I'm willing to stand for Jesus. Imagine being in the days of the, uh, uh, the Romans. You're going to worship? Today could be your last day. Coming to worship could be your last day. And you say, well, preacher, how would we as modern Christians respond to a Roman threat? How do we respond to COVID? 
there's your answer. <laughs> Many of us haven't even come back because of COVID. So I think we have the answer, right? Listen, this is the day. Thank you, God. Right? What can keep me from worshiping my God? I've got to stand for something or I'll fall for everything, right? You've heard that. Finally, brethren, the Bible says in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians 6.10 Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Notice it doesn't say reach in your pocket. It doesn't say go grab your checkbook. It doesn't say go to your home. It says, hey, put on God's armor, right? Because you can't defeat the devil by yourself. None of us can. Nor can we defeat, if you will, the forces of evil without putting on our armor. Every day you've got to don yourself with your armor. Remember being in the military. It's one of the things that we sometimes hate it because it's heavy. It's heavy to put that armor on. Then put a rucksack on as well and then carry your weapon and all your ammo. And it's heavy. But you've got to put your armor on every day, Jesus says, because Satan is coming for all of us. All of us. Are you ready? You've got to stand, right? And then he goes on to say, uh, for our struggle, here's a scary one, is not against flesh and blood. Well, that's perspective right there, right? In other words, you are not my enemy. Satan is. And the forces of evil. And we could erase this verse, so we might as well just go on and read it, because God gave it to us. For our struggle is not against, what if humanity realized that? We'd get rid of all the trouble we're having with each other, right? From one person to another, from one, uh, if you will, location to another location. You know, you live over here and I live over there, so now you're my enemy, you're my rival, you're my this. No, that's not where our struggle is. The struggle is against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly Places and you know it exists to this day. Satan is busy, and his demons are too. And there are people still to this day. They're doing seances and trying to call evil spirits, and it's crazy. We live in a crazy world. And you know, if you just watch some of the crazy things that are happening in our world today, you realize what a what a bloodthirsty world we live in. And some of us love it so. Paul said, no, no, to leave is better. I want to go home with Jesus. How many of us want to go home with Jesus? Right? I mean, to stay is for you. But to get to go home, someone said one time, well, I'm not ready yet. I haven't spent my 401k. You must not understand heaven. Right? Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of the faith, and with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Oh, wait, that's just a kid verse. You just learned that in the children's classes, right? 
It's like when we grow up, we forget about Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. To stand like Jesus stood. Philippians uh, chapter, chapter 1. To be uh, inconvenienced, stand together. Verse 27, the second S. To strive. To strive together. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You realize that Christianity, number one, is not a spectator sport to all the men sitting in the pews who don't participate. That was free. And number two, number two, Christianity is not to be run individually, but together together. See, we are a force to reckon with together. But individually, not so much. Not as strong by ourselves, but we are strong in the Lord, but God says we got to work together. And that's why this day is so important. Now, back in the first century, back in the first century, they assembled and they noticed a shortage of members. Why the shortage? Because some of the brethren had been in prison. Some of the brethren had been executed. Some of the brethren were just missing. Aren't you glad that we don't have to go through that today, church? And yet, what's keeping us from coming to worship? I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the preacher. I'm mad at the elders. I'm mad at the deacons. I'm mad at somebody. I'm mad at the chairs, right? Got to find some. What is the reason for not coming to worship? Thank you, God. You got to find the joy. You have to find the joy in Christ, right, in life. Philippians chapter 3, listen to what he says, uh, continuing on, down to verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you, to me. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you to you. And you say, well, preacher, see, God gave me a way out. Because, see, I'm not perfect. Right? When God sees you, the reason he sees perfection if you're faithful and you're a Christian is because he doesn't see you without seeing the blood of Jesus. When God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus and in seeing the blood of Jesus, he sees you and I as being perfect. But he sees us through the blood of Jesus as being perfect if we continue in repentance and confession. And then God is faithful, 1 John 1, to forgive us of all of our sins and transgressions when we ask. 
when we live our lives in such a way to where we say, God, I, I blew it. I've sinned. Here's what I've done. That's what a confession is, right? Here's what I've done. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, and I, I plan to the best of my ability through your strength to never, to never do it again. And you know, it's all right to feel sorrowful in your heart because you've sinned. Do, you, do we still do that? Do we still feel sorrowful in our hearts when we sin against God? I mean, is it, does it bother us anymore? Is it just, you know, like, please forgive me for my sins, and you move on, and we don't even recognize our sins? Do we feel sorrowful still for our sins? Are we willing to say, you know, our parents taught us this. Our parents would say, hey, um, go and say sorry because you, you did something wrong. And so you have to go to your individual, whomever that person may be, and say, I'm, I'm sorry. And then, and then our parents would say, and what are you sorry for? And you have to tell them what you're sorry for, right? Do I still feel sorry for committing sins against God? Or, or is it one of those things that just, I don't even see it anymore. So in Christ, we, we press on. We, we live for Jesus. We keep moving forward as a unit away from evil. We, we Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that we encourage one another or stimulate, is what the verse says in verse 23. We stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So today, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see all of you. It's exciting to see you here. All of you have come to worship God. That's exciting, right? And I know you feel the same excitement as me. And you go, this is great. Look at all these people who've come to worship and honor our God in a world of chaos. The other people don't want to be here, but I want to be here. Thank you, God. This is the day. I love this day. This is the day. Sometimes we were talking and we were like, you know, what if, what if Jesus came back on Sunday? Wow. I mean, it doesn't matter when he comes, just come, Lord Jesus. But what if he came on Sunday? And we all get to go home together. You know, what an exciting blessing that would just come on, Jesus, right? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about Jesus coming right now? Are you ready? Have you made your life ready? Have you repented of your sins? Do you have sorrow in your heart? Do you, have you found that you've done something you weren't? Thank you for saying yes, by the way. Have you found in your heart that, that, that there's something you still haven't made right with God? How many times have I heard this as a preacher? You know, preacher, this morning you were talking to me, and I should have come forward and asked for forgiveness, but I, I just didn't have the courage. Does it take courage, or does it take sorrow? If we're supposed to be a family, I think that's what the text is saying, right? Stand together in unity and love, right? One mind, and then strive together. I think, I think he's saying we're a family, and if we're a family, it's different, isn't it? You know, I can tell family stuff I can't tell the world. We can tell family stuff that we don't tell the world. So to be like Jesus, Matthew, please, chapter, chapter 26. Jesus, at this, this hour and this moment where you say, you know, he, he was at his weakest point, maybe while, while on the earth. Maybe so. I, I, don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say it was his weakest point. But. And he goes to that garden. And Isaiah 53 is about to happen. And he's frustrated with his disciples. So tired. They're working for the Lord. Working for the Master. And they're so tired. 
And they fall asleep. And Jesus says, do you know what's about to happen? They didn't understand it. And in verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, that will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, listen to this, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. I'm ready to die for you. I'm not only ready to die for you, I am ready to suffer and die for you, children. I'm ready not only to suffer and die, I'm willing to go through a day and a half of torture for you. Six hours on the cross and then the whole tri- illegal trial at night. I'm willing to die for you. I'm ready to die for you. And then he goes one step further in Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to let you go. And we'll come back and we'll pick this up again. He goes one step further in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'm willing to die I'm ready to die for you on your behalf. I'm willing to take the wounds that you were supposed to receive, that I'm supposed to receive upon myself, that the world might be saved, that you, my children, might be saved. I'm willing to do it. I'm ready to do it. I'm energized to do it. And I found joy in doing it. Paul said, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Today is the day. Joy. The joy before him despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, did I go too long? Did I, have I inconvenienced you just a little bit? You know, it's that thing, you know, preachers, when you go out to preach, you know, make sure you only preach this long. Just give us a little bit. Don't inconvenience us. Sometimes we stay a little long and we say our prayer. James, say a short prayer. Just don't be too long. We have plans as soon as worship is over. Do you really? Do you have plans that can't be delayed? To worship our God. This morning I'm, I'm forced to cut my sermon a little bit short. Because I'm, I'm getting into your time. It won't always be this way. But today, just a little bit short, just for you. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Should I? 
Am I being an obedient servant of God? Or am I being an obedient servant of the angry church of Christ? Am I choosing you over God? Maybe that's what I've done. But I'm going to let you have the lesson this morning. Two of the three S's stand together in humility. Stand together in one mind. Strive together. Church, let's be together. Let's get to heaven holding hands. Let's get to heaven with one another in our lives, in our thoughts, and in our minds. James, you cut your prayer short. Everybody else, you lengthen your prayers for the saints. How about that? How about tonight you say a longer prayer than you've said in the past? James, don't shorten your prayer. I'm just joking. Tonight I want to give it, I want to give you more, God. Right? Tonight I want to give you more. I want to pray for all the saints. I want to spend a little more time in prayer. Lord God, help me. Help us all, right? The lesson is yours this morning. This morning, if you are not a Christian, we, uh, we invite you to come and surrender uh, to our God, to, to give Him your life, to be willing to confess His name before men, to have godly sorrow in your heart, and be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins, for your forgiveness. If you're a child of God and you're struggling with your, your walk of faith, all of us do, and you need just a little more prayer, or, or maybe there's something that's out there, it's public, and you need to make a confession, this is your opportunity. This is the day. Maybe next week won't come. Today's the day. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song.